0: It's so good to see you. I ask you to please go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians, and Galatians chapter 5 is where we'll be this morning. Finally, in the book of Galatians, as you know, Paul has been battling legalism nonstop right from the get-go of chapter 1, but you might be heartbroken over what I'm about to share this morning, is Paul doesn't attack legalism anymore. He's transitioning to something else, so I hope you won't be upset with him. Or me, I literally am just the messenger. But sermon after sermon, Paul has been attacking legalistic tendencies we have in our hearts and our flesh. And he's going to show us today what it means to really live, not by the law, the legalistic way of going about things, but to really be led by the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, and to avoid the other ditch, the other side of legalism. Because it would be a shame if we all said, yes, legalism is bad, therefore, let's just live like this now. And Paul says, let's pump the brakes on that, and we're going to actually not live this other way, but we're going to live by the Spirit. And we're going to see this with the Apostle Paul, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 5, and we're going to read all the way to verse 26. And so here's what our brother Paul says by the power of the Holy Spirit. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. This is God's word. I don't know if you've noticed lately a trend in our society, but people don't seem to use leashes on their children anymore. Um, I've been to Disney World. There are some leash needing children there. And I I can say that because I grew up as a leash baby. And my mother and father are here. I, I needed a leash. I remember the cord is like a long telephone cord on your wrist that would keep you from running off. I mean, I was running off, I was hiding, I was ripping tags off of clothes, I was doing all kinds of stuff in these malls. Um, And I think I I bring this up because we are pendulum people. We go from a leash generation to now we are free range. (laughs) Free range children, helicopter parents, just get the leash if you're a helicopter parent. We got all this stuff going on. And this is not just an American society pendulum swinging. This is a Christian problem that we have as well. We go from one side of the issue and to avoid that issue, now we go all the way into another. Uh, I'm sure we all know there's an era of people that grew up listening to Led Zeppelin, listening to jazz music, listening to Miles Davis. They become believers and they start smashing all their records. And now Paul wants us to avoid swinging too hard so we don't wreck the car. Yeah, we want to avoid legalism as best as we can by the power of God's spirit, but that doesn't mean we should jerk the wheel so hard that now we go into license and liberalism and do whatever we want. That's why Paul begins, and look at verse 13, for you were called to freedom. And as our brother Justin Bieber sings, "In freedom, don't it feel good? (laughs) But Paul would say, no, it shouldn't feel too good to your flesh. And your sinful desires, that's why he says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh to sin. But your freedom is to serve one another. So that's the first point this morning that Paul wants us to see. Point number one is to avoid the pendulum. To avoid the pendulum. Chapter five begins, you can look at chapter five, verse one, if you have your Bible. For freedom, Christ has set us free. We're we're called to freedom and not to submit again to another yoke of slavery. So there is a caution here. From verse 1 now to verse 13, to not exploit our freedoms, to not abuse our freedoms, to not give your flesh, your sinful desires, a free pass in the name of grace. And you see this a lot in churches, the pendulum swing. If you grew up in a very legalistic background, and you come out of that, and, and you become a Christian maybe in college, or are you just kind of have an awakening, a kind of a gospel wakefulness in your soul that maybe you grew up in a legalistic youth group, and then you come out of there engine revving zero to 100 in six months and involved in all kinds of sins. That's not the message of grace. And we know the pendulum swings the other way from license into legalism, too. People that come out of wild backgrounds grew up in incredibly difficult situations and react to their past, instead of reacting to God's word, they get super legalistic. So brothers and sisters, we're not called to react to our past, but to react to the spirit, to react to Christ, that cross and that empty tomb, and to see what this freedom really is for us and Christ is for. It's not for chasing our inhibitions. I'm free. I can't have a breakfast margarita. That is not what our freedom in Christ is for. It's mimosas. That's not how these things work. <laughs> We're not to chase our ambitions because we know grace has no bounds. Look at what Paul says in verse 13 again. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So our freedom isn't meant to terminate on us. It's meant to be a catalyst towards loving and serving others. You, you are free in Christ, not so you can install a kegerator in your garage, but so you can install one in Sean's garage. <laughs> Freed to serve a friend in need. Not serving out of motive to get on God's good side, which is legalism, but serving because you love each other because you're free and declared righteous. So now you wanna freely serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what radical grace does. So you can freely serve one another. Even something as small as a piece of fabric that we strap on our faces. Freed to serve one another with a little piece of fabric. Freed to serve one another in risen kids. free to deliver a meal to a family who has just welcomed a newborn or has adopted a new child into their home. That radical grace would make us truly radical servants. And that's where Paul says in verse 14, look at 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. And you know why Paul says it this way? He says, the whole law summed up in this. Because remember the background of the Galatians. They love keeping the law. Oh, you guys love keeping the law? Well, great. Here's the summary of the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Our freedom in Christ is an opportunity to love and serve one another. This now becomes the mainframe, the operating system of the Christian life, freedom to love and serve. Now, don't, I, I hope no one's thinking, this is exactly what my wife needs to hear. I sure hope my le- lazy husband is listening. Those light bulbs aren't going to change themselves. Jeff Betters. No, God is talking to you and to me. Look at the grammar of verse 14. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, God is speaking to us right here. Don't think about anybody else. Think about you, yourself, and your neighbor, your spouse, your children, your friends, your community group members, and avoid the pendulum. Because we think freedom is an isolationist freedom, but Paul says it's, exa- it's exactly the other way around. Look at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. See, Christian freedom is not my way or the highway. Doing what I want, who cares if people get in the way? Paul warns against attacking one another like we belong to the walking dead some kind of zombie spirituality where we bite and devour one another just so we get our way. And there's no doubt 2020 has shown us that there are communities of Christians that are willing to bite and devour one another so they can get their way done. And the Apostle Paul tells us this is the opposite of Christianity. That if we aren't together, we will tear each other apart. Freedoms are not meant to be used for war and division. They're meant to be used to be laid down. That we must land on love no matter what is happening. Not swinging to license, not swinging to legalism, but swinging towards love. And that's, that's point number two today, that we would avoid going solo in the Christian life and go with the spirit and the body of Christ. Point number two, avoid going solo and to go with the spirit and the body. Look at verse 16. 16 through, through 18, look at what he says. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. One of, I think one of the reasons why we get in so many messes in our lives is that we truly do rely on ourselves. And it's illustrated so perfectly. I don't know if you've ever seen those videos. America's Funny, some videos would be number one, but just YouTube compilations of videos of people working out, And they're going to lift a ton of weight. And they have no one to spot them. You know what happens. They're grunting, their face is red, veins are everywhere. And that, that bar just cracks on their chest. And then it's just a slow motion display of struggle, of the weights just falling, them falling over, and them passing out. Far too often, we walk through the Christian life thinking, I got this. When the Holy Spirit has appointed himself as, I will be your spotter, I will lead you, I will guide you, and I will place you in a body of Christians that will love you and that will spot you as well. See, Paul's concern for the Galatian Christians is not even so much a false teaching, but a false spirituality. This is the danger with all false doctrine, with all heresy. It's truly what it leads to is these false spiritualities, these false ways of relating to God, and these false ways of relating to one another. And the way to avoid this, brothers and sisters, is that we would really get charismatic. Now, not the Benny Hinn, let me take my coat off, Sean, come up, I'm going to hit you with my jacket. Not that kind of stuff. But the true biblical charismatic way of living is to be led by the Spirit. I wonder when's the last time we thought about the Holy Spirit? When's the last time we prayed for the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives? The last time we we wanted to, to sense really a sensitivity to the Spirit? Because I know in churches like ours that are very theologically conservative, we start talking the Holy Spirit and we might as well start talking about quantum mechanics or the latest episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, because it all seems irrelevant to daily life. But beloved, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is involved in our everyday Christian lives. Every single moment. See, sometimes we only think about the Holy Spirit when we're reading our Bibles in the morning and we hit a difficult section where we've landed somewhere. We're like, oh, my Holy Spirit, would you give me help? And that's, that's, that's good and that's true. Or maybe we think about the Holy Spirit when we're going through a very challenging situation in life. Or maybe we think about the Holy Spirit when we're praying. But I hope that we'll realize that the Holy Spirit is is rumbling inside of our hearts and bodies every single moment, every single day. That right now, even as I'm preaching, as Robbie and, and the band was leading, as you're hearing, as you drive home, that the Spirit is alive and active in us. And Paul wants us to really capture this. It's four times we see a personal interaction with the Spirit in this passage. Verse 16, look. Walk by the Spirit, verse 18, be led by the Spirit, verse 25, live by the Spirit, verse 25 again, keep in step with the Spirit. I mean, Paul is really driving this home. I want you to know you're led by the Spirit, and I want you to walk by the Spirit and live by the Spirit. And this kind of language, walking, being led, living, keeping in step, this is all everyday stuff. Walking, leading, leaving, keeping. This is, this is not extraordinary displays of spirituality. Sometimes we love these mountaintop, we want mountaintop experiences with God and God grants these super concentrated moments with him, but it's really down in the valleys where we live, where the spirit meets us and leads us. And that's why he says in verse 16, look at 16 again. But I say walk by the spirit, Why? You won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You you won't want to do those sinful things. Well, why? Verse 17 answers that. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're not frenemies. They are actually opposed to each other, wanting nothing to do with each other, like that polarized magnet. Did you ever do that in school? You would take a magnet and you would reverse the polarity of it. And instead of it attracting metal, it it repelled metal. It's freaky and awesome. This is the works of the Spirit and the life of the Spirit, how it works, that when we're being led by the Spirit and then now temptations, flesh, these things come near us, the Spirit says, gone, pushes it away. I don't want that. I, I, I I want this. What I want is verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're truly being led by the Spirit. And led, These are, this is an important word picture here. To walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. You see this dynamic in everyday life. And the word walk, I'm sure as you know, is really a metaphor for the entire Christian life, that we would walk with Jesus, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk in love. It's a great picture of moving forward, of going somewhere. And so, brothers and sisters, the Christian life really is walking with Christ in the kingdom toward the new earth and calling people to join us as we walk with him, calling people to join the walk. But maybe, maybe we can use a different metaphor to, to help us. And it's the word by, just from the word by to walk by, to be led by the Spirit. And you, we've all used this, this kind of analogy. You hear people say, don't talk to me till I have my coffee. And their little coffee mug says, this day is powered by Jesus and coffee. That's putting coffee on a very high pedestal, by the way. That's expecting a lot from coffee. Or I gotta read the paper first. I gotta check my news, Whatever. We're we're communicating, this is what gets me energized, gets me going and propels me, empowers me through the day. And this is what Paul is saying. The spirit of the living God gets us up gets us going, gets us in the word, gets us loving, gets us turning from sin, gets us to church, gets us singing, gets us hearing God's word, gets us confessing, gets us repenting, gets us loving one another through, serving one another through love, that the Spirit is the one doing all of this. And Paul wants to see that the Holy Spirit is essential to the Christian life. So if it's not us obeying the law, which is what chapters one through five have been about so much, so how are we gonna actually live the Christian life? Paul's answer, by the Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. It's not through pyrotechnic displays, but really through on the ground, daily Christian living. Being led by the Spirit. How often, when's the last time you can think you significantly stopped and prayed and sought the Holy Spirit's help in your life. Is this the Holy Spirit leading me, or is this old-fashioned me? Is this the me that's gotten me in a lot of trouble before, or is this truly the Holy Spirit of the Living God? I want you to think about the word "led." You can you can learn a lot. You can learn a valuable lesson in leadership, in being led to go on a hike in the jungles of northern Thailand. I was on a mission trip with a group of people, and we were hiking through the jungle, and we lost the trail. Not ideal, because there's a couple of tigers, supposedly, in this jungle, and mating seasons of elephants in this jungle. And we don't know where we're going. No one, There's no phones. There's no maps. We're just cruising through this jungle. Nobody knows where to go. Nobody has a clue, except my wife, Natalie takes the mantle of leadership. She says, follow me, I know. I'll just cut the story short and tell you that there are medical records somewhere in Thailand with my name on them showing that Natalie did not know the way. But we followed her blindly. And beloved, the Holy Spirit never loses the trail. We respond to the leadership of the Holy Spirit using the word of God, lighting a path for our feet. Google Maps shows us the path. I took Google Maps here this morning. I never had to look at Google Maps and go, I just don't know. I don't know, Google, where where are you taking me? The word of God is that bright blue line showing us go this way, do this thing. Turn from this sin. Love this neighbor as yourself. Repent of this sin. So how do we walk and get led and walk by the Spirit? It's that obvious. We turn to God's word. Say, lead me, Holy Spirit. This isn't just about taking that job or buying that house or making this big family decision. Those are important things. But I think Paul wants us to really see the Spirit in our everyday lives, that the Spirit cares about your road rage. The Spirit cares about your attitude towards servers at restaurants. The Holy Spirit cares about our coveting boards known as Pinterest and Amazon wish lists. That's just for me. Here's Paul's point, that that if we know Jesus, that if you've been crucified with him, you've had all your sins forgiven by him, and that you've been raised to newness of life with him, then walk with him. If you trust his death in his empty tomb, which you can today for the very first time, Jesus invites you to walk with him and to trust him. You are now gifted the Holy Spirit to lead you for the rest of your life because you belong to Christ. That's the final point this morning. Verse three, you belong to Christ, so live it. Here's where the Spirit wants to lead us away from and wants to lead us toward. Look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, obvious. This is what Paul's saying. And he lists a litany of things. This is the sinful nature. This is the default mode that we all have. We don't need to go through each and every one. They're obvious and self-explanatory, but here's what's striking to me. It wasn't obvious until I studied this passage. Look at verse 19. Look at what, look at the things that are listed here. Verse 20. Sorcery, okay? Jealousy, anger, selfish ambition. The fact that jealousy and selfish ambition are in the same line as sorcery and immorality is should be staggering to us. That we have what Jerry Bridges calls respectable sins. Sins that we've normalized and really don't think are a big deal anymore because, yeah, I mean, everybody struggles with that. But Paul says our sins, no matter what they are, are not to be categorized as respectable. Uh, Yeah, definitely repent of that one. That one, okay, fine. Paul's listening to these because, remember, the Galatians, they're swinging the pendulum back and forth. Legalism into license, into sinful freedom, And here he also mentions factions, these dissensions and divisions. The Spirit wants to lead us away from these things. And if as we read the passage this morning, if you felt an an ounce, of conviction, you you got a a gulp in your throat as we read, the Holy Spirit is, is not condemning you. He is lovingly inviting you to walk with him. If you read fits of anger, if you read divisions, dissensions, if you read idolatry and just the Spirit brought things to mind, he is lovingly whispering to us, hey, turn from that and follow me. If we also, if we read this passage and you thought, he didn't mention this, Whew, look at the last thing he says. 21, envy and drunkenness and things like these. Paul says, I could go on, fill in the blank. So if you thought, well, he didn't mention that. Paul says, the Holy Spirit just now did, in your mind, in your heart, for you, inviting you to repentance. Because look at what he says, 21. As I warned you before, I'm warning you again, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of a God. So this is a serious warning label. This isn't just, hey, don't do these things, they're icky. This isn't just, hey, don't don't do that stuff. That's not what Christians do. This isn't morality, please. This is eternity we're talking about now. And Paul's not saying that if you did these things ever, you're out, you're, you're blacklisted, you're toast. What he is saying is if you practice them, unrepented, ongoing, and no desire to get away from them, this is a big difference. We all have sins that we battle and that we struggle, that we fight against, that we wanna crucify, that we wanna turn from, that we ask and we confess it to the Lord and say, I need your forgiveness, I need your mercy. He's not talking about battling. He is talking about actually not battling, that we don't care about these things anymore. Paul says, those who practice, those who do such things unswervingly will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because that's not the the radical grace of Christ's spirit. Because what he does call us to is verse 22. But, here's the contrast. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I love the the contrast, the first word of verse 22, the, the but here but is the contrast. And I forget that the fruit of the spirit comes in the context of the works of the flesh. That he's showing these are the two ways of living that are set before us. That he's overlaying, abiding and devouring one another and not being a community together with being a community together. Because if you think about all the works of the flesh, they are things that are done that hurt other people. Do you notice that? Immorality, hurts yourself and others, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, strife, jealousy. It's not just things that that injure your own soul. It also injures others. And then he contrasts this with the fruit of the Spirit, which can only be done to truly bless others. Because you're not just gentle by yourself. You don't just exhibit patience by yourself sitting in a dark room. I am very patient today. Because it hasn't been tested yet. It manifests when others are around. And notice that he says, the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. If you're familiar with the writings of Paul, we, I anticipate him to say, works of the flesh, works of the Spirit. But he uses the analogy of fruit to show us this is not our own doing. This is always and only divine enablement. It can only come from the spirit of the living God. It's what he does. It is the produce that God produces in us. And I am so thankful that it says the fruit of the spirit and not the veggies of the spirit because broccoli's nasty. If I offered you a little cutie orange or some cauliflower, you know what you're picking. And I think God's designed it this way because there is a sweetness that comes with fruit, that comes with walking with the Spirit. And these fruits, these are really the contours of Christ. This is really a display of Christ's heart. Every single one is really truly about Jesus. Jesus is the one who loves perfectly. Jesus is the one who exhibits joy even as he walked to the cross, Hebrews 12 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus is the one who always brings peace and gives peace to everyone. Jesus is the one who operates with gentleness towards sinners. Jesus is the one who has kindness to the woman at the well. Jesus is the one who gives goodness to us every single day of our lives. See, these are all really showing who is Jesus like? What is Jesus like to us in every single moment? And it's these. Now, I hope that as, and these are all pretty obvious. I don't think you need to know the Greek word for patience. We know it. I don't think you need to know. Here's how first century literature really thought about kindness. You know what it is. So I hope as you even read these that you don't think, oh gosh, I am so far off. I am not anywhere close to any of these things. Paul's not trying to discourage us. This is the good news about fruit. So, So don't be discouraged. The analogy of fruit is very important because Fruit grows slowly, gradually, and seasonally. That's the Christian life. That's our growth. Slowly, gradually, and seasonally. You will have great seasons of like, you feel like, man, I feel like this is the most mature I've ever been in my whole life. And then you will have other seasons where you're like, I don't even know if I'm saved. I don't even know what's going on with me. I don't want any of us to go into H-E-B this week and see the vats of bananas and watermelons and think this is how fruit grows. That's the prosperity gospel at H-E-B. <laughs> we, we, we gotta go to first century farming, horticulture, and agriculture to really understand the analogy here. You couldn't get strawberries whenever you wanted in first century Palestine. You, you couldn't just have watermelons whenever. It was slow, it was rare. It was gradual, but it was, it, was, it was guaranteed they were coming. And we gotta think of our spiritual fruit this way as well. I'll never forget this. You remember the Charlie Brown Christmas tree? The most embarrassing, dinky little tree you've ever seen. We had a lime tree like that in our backyard. It was an embarrassing tree. It just sat there in the corner, wah, and we're just looking at it, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden, had this little tiny baby lime. like, it's alive, amazing. And it grew and it grew, and we ripped that lime off and used it, and then not the most recent freeze, but another freeze years ago came and really just devastated that lime tree again. And I'm watching it, going, come on, baby lime tree. And you're supposed to like talk to your plants and stuff. I didn't do that, that's weird. But I was like waiting. (laughs) It's, it's, It's gonna do something, it's gonna do something. And that year, no no lime. Next year, oh, there comes that lime again. Did it ever stop being a lime tree? No. Even though it only produced tiny, tiny limes, it was still organically, internally connected to that soil. It is a lime tree. And the issue, I think, with a lot of us is we compare a two-year-old Christian to a 20-year-old Christian who's been producing vats of apples and oranges and joy and peace and kindness for decades to a new Christian who's, man, they're just new at it. And they feel like, I only have this one little thing. I'm I'm nothing like them. That's not where we compare ourselves. We don't walk by someone else's fruit. We don't walk by someone else. We walk by the spirit of the living God. And there is evidence that you are alive. And it might just be something as, I know I love Jesus. It might just be something as, I'm so happy to sing to Jesus today. And it might be huge, huge fruit as well. I I love Scotty Smith on Twitter. There's a lot of crazy people on Twitter, but follow good people and you'll have a good experience on Twitter. No one is making you follow the annoying people. Did you know that? (laughs) You can curate who you follow. And so you follow Scotty Smith and you'll find things. He gives signs you're growing in grace. Some great tweets. He has tons of them. He says, a sign you're growing in grace, Your gospel is bigger, your gripes fewer, your generosity freer, your laugh louder. A sign you're growing in grace, you're growing less defensive, more compassionate. A sign you're growing in grace, you don't sample 12 flavors of gelato and hold up the line behind you. (laughs) That has to be some context for there. A sign you're growing in grace, it doesn't take you as long to tell your wife she was right. And all the women can say, Amen, amen. We want to walk by the Spirit. And so how does this happen? Final verse we'll look at, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, here's how it happens, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The ways that we truly do begin to grow and cultivate that soil to live by the Spirit is by participation in crucifixion. Paul, Paul does not call us to just observe the cross of Christ. Paul says, participate. It's here in the book of Galatians that Paul uses it twice. You see it later in chapter six that we've been crucified to the world. So the world's temptations, they're dead to us. My own temptations, the flesh, it's dead to me because I've been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20 says, and it's no longer I who live. And the life I now live in the flesh, in the body, I live by faith. You could also take out, I live by the Spirit and the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I love this description, these first few words in 24. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means you are those who belong to Christ Jesus. You belong to Jesus. This is the most significant thing about anyone and everyone in this room that belongs to Jesus Christ, that calls himself a disciple, that is a Christian. We will disappoint one another. We will not live up to our own expectations. We will do things that we don't wanna do. And the things that we do wanna do, we won't do them. But here, we belong to Jesus Christ. Jesus knows every sin that we're going to commit. And he says, you belong to me. He knows sins we're going to commit 20 years from now that we would never think we would do. And he says, you belong to me. I forgive you, walk with me, crucify your flesh again. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. And just like crucifixion, that is slow, that is gradual and guaranteed death, so is our fruit slow and gradual and guaranteed. So don't lose hope this morning. Trust Christ was crucified for your sinful flesh And walk with his risen body by the spirit. Turn from anger. When a brother asks you to help move, jump at the opportunity to serve. When a pastor reaches out to help serve someone at risen, jump at the opportunity to serve one another through love and keep in step with the spirit. I wanted to just leave you with that last phrase, verse 25. Keep in step with the spirit. The spirit wants to take us somewhere. He's saying, it's, it's almost like the Holy Spirit saying, hey, Jeff, I'm gonna go honor Jesus. Do you wanna come along? I, I wanna go, I'm gonna go lift high the risen son. Do you, do you wanna come along with me? It's like children at the mall with their parents on the leash. The Spirit's tugging on us. Hey, let's go this way. Let, let's, go, let's go honor the son. Let, let's go serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the Spirit's tugging at us to walk with him to lift high the name of Christ because we've been yoked to Jesus whose yoke is easy and his burden is light and there is no law against these things. Let's follow Jesus together. Let's ask for his help. King Jesus, we come to you seeking your help, your, your leadership, your guidance in our lives. We, we truly, deep down in our, in our souls, we want to lift you high, Lord, We don't want to gratify the desires of the flesh. We want to be led by the Spirit. So so right now, Holy Spirit, would you show us anywhere in our lives where we are not keeping in step with you, where we don't have that syncopated, rhythmic step with our our risen Galilean Savior, where we've kind of developed our own way of walking with Christ, and where we need to come back to this ancient and ever-relevant word and crucify the passions of our flesh yet again and keep in step with you, Holy Spirit. So show us, Lord. Tug on our hearts. Show us in your word. Captivate us and correct us. Rebuke us, exhort us, encourage us where we need it, Holy Spirit. And it's, and it's in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, to the glory of the Father, that we ask these things. Amen.